0: Welcome to the Gospel Centered podcast. My name is Josh Susson and I am a man in desperate need of the gospel and today I will be your host. We've got another really fantastic episode for you this week. Mike is still with us in the studio. As you know, this is the follow-up to the past last week's episode, which was Acts chapter two, and we'll be finishing out that conversation to Acts chapter two and getting into the segment. What does this mean for you? Well, you'll find some practical application and challenges for the episode uh, last week's and this week's episode. Uh it is I, I just love this conversation with Mike and I'm really excited about what God is doing through the podcast and uh what happened in Acts chapter two. So without any further ado, let's just jump into the episode. Do you want to read it or you want me to?
1: Man, I'll read this one because I don't gotta name all those names yeah. back there. So I'm good yeah. with that. Yeah. All right, so uh Acts chapter two. Verse 14. Yeah, um 14. I guess we'll go to 40, well, forty ones. it's a long way, guys. Yeah, 41, Um, but, but it's good. All right, let's see what happens. Let's go for it. But Peter, standing with the 11, lifted up his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be God, declares, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David, that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God has sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his fleshy corruption. This Jesus God raised up, and of that we all are witnessed." So those who received his words were baptized, and they were added to that day about three thousand souls. Peter goes hard. Uh, yeah. Peter lets him have it. You did this.
0: Uh, there's yeah, a
1: yeah. There, there's a real uh, honest nature that Peter has here.
0: <laughs> yeah, P, you know, uh, for anyone who's ever met me, they know that Peter's a man after my own heart. You know, <laughs> and I just, I mean, it just. Uh, I think in light of what we talked about with the first paragraph, this understanding that, one, these people knew what was going on. It, yeah. it, it, they weren't confused. They weren't surprised. They weren't like, wait, wait who are you talking about, Jesus? What do I didn't know we crucified someone. Like, what are you talking about? You know what I mean? They weren't surprised by what these tongues meant, that the reversal of Babel was prophesied many times. They weren't surprised by the tongues of fire. They weren't – this wasn't a world – like. It's so hard sometimes to put our mind in their mindset. But because if we were in a church, we went to a church on Sunday and and I, I've been to some crazy Pentecostal things. But I'm saying if we were in a church on Sunday and fire came out of the sky and began to lick itself, you know, over someone's head, I'd be like, what on earth is happening here? You know, like because for me... My, in my history, there's no significance to that. And now we know that there's this significance to these people. And then Peter just, I mean, he just lets them have it. Yeah, it's... um, And it says, they. I mean, 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart.
1: Right. Well, I mean, I, I think there is, and and if we're looking in on this and we're not careful... We get this natural this natural idea that we can just let people have it. Oh, sure, sure. and that it's a good thing and let them figure out their repentance, let them figure out this stuff. But what we have to really pay attention to is that Peter is filled with the spirit here. yeah. so who's really letting them have it isn't just Peter, right. The spirit knows what to say, when to say, how to say it. man. Go ahead. Uh, Yeah. And that's, and so, and so, for where this is really kind of moving into in a lot of ways is this idea of prophecy. Yeah. Yeah. This idea of being able to speak into someone's life. This is one of the, this, the Spirit's empowerments upon, upon Christians is the Spirit speaks through us and the Spirit speaks in our hearts and through us so that other people can hear. That's why for Christians, our words are powerful. Yeah. What we say, when we say it, how we say it, all of that has massive implications, both for our own souls and for others.
0: Well, and I think, it's, I, I think it's interesting that you say that. I didn't even think about it that way because the language that we use is we say letting them have it, but really when you th- – because I, I, I hadn't even – really, I hadn't really framed it in the way that you were considering mm-hmm. it, that like a father lets their kid have it. That's not really what Peter's doing here. Right. This is not this massive reprimand. Uh, this when I What really is happening is Peter is standing boldly on truth. He is coming and saying, he's not telling them that they're terrible people because they crucified David. In fact, David crucified Jesus. He actually relieves them of the burden of doing that. He says two things that relieves them of that burden, right? The Jews that he's talking to. He says, one, this was all God's plan. So you thought you had this figured out, but God wanted to crucify Jesus. Yeah. And then he says, you turned him over to these lawless men. And, you know, to say the term lawless for a Jew is pretty significant. He's meaning you're turning him over to these men who don't know anything about God, don't know anything about God. So when you think of it from that standpoint, he's not letting them have it. He's like opening their hearts to this ability to see like Jesus was for you from God. This is the first declaration made after Jesus has died and rose again. This is the very first declaration that we know of where where someone is making the claim. This was actually planned by God. Now, we know Jesus taught that. Right, we know Jesus taught his disciples in his private spaces that this was coming and that that he was going to be turned up, you know, turned over and in 3 days he would come back. We you know, Jesus taught all that, but the, Jesus didn't even teach that to the crowd. He taught that to his disciples. So this is the first time that this story is really being unveiled to the world. That this, that God had planned this and that this was the fulfillment of the prophecies and that this was all what was supposed to happen and this is exactly what David was talking about. You,
1: you, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, sure. This idea that God is constantly at work. Right. And, and that's something that this culture here would – they have temples of different gods. They have things they have to do. They're always constantly trying to appease gods that are mean. Gods that, right. are, that if they don't appease them, they'll be destroyed. Yeah. And for the first time, they're being told in their language by Peter, by by all of these apostles, hey, God loves you. Repent and be Man, saved. That's so true. Again, I,
0: we start out by going... Wow, Peter's really letting them have it because he is he's making such a proclamation, but in the layers, he's not he really isn't. You're yeah. right, because you have this sense, you know, Jesus is God's son. So if you were to place him in any other mythology, there's gonna be some sort of problem with a bunch of humans gathering together and overthrowing God's son and killing him. Right? But not here not with Yahweh. Peter comes out and says, nope, God foreknew this. And he preordained this to happen. God crucified Jesus. It's pretty incredible how much responsibility God takes for all of these things so that he can draw these people to him. And I think they would have totally understood that. I think they would have totally understood I think they did. That's why yeah. it says they was mean, cut to the heart. Well, yeah,
1: because Peter said you crucified him. Right. I mean, it's like before your very eyes in this very place, it's being unfolded one of the greatest redemption stories of all mankind.
0: Everything you've been looking for, what you came to Pentecost for is finally here. What you
1: came to celebrate. Yeah, for whatever reason, you're here. Wh- whatever you are here, not only... Is it now in front of you as an opportunity? But if you didn't come here for any of those reasons, if you're just driving down the road on your buggy and cart... Right. And you just saw the wind and the fire and you've stopped here now... Right. It's also for you, for God is here in this well, place. Well, that's the whole other
0: layer to his sermon that we haven't even talked about. Yeah. Right? That he's he's like, for the first time, again, I mean, Peter's making some big waves right here. For the first time, he's saying... It's for you here, for all of you out there, and for everyone. This story now is transitioning. It is no longer just the story of the Israelites. It is now moving, and we think it's a moving forward, right? That's how we always phrase this. In the typical American Christian thought process is, is God started out very narrow and then went very broad. But that's not what happened. This is a return to God's original plan. God started out very broad. All of humanity was supposed to dwell with him in Eden, and it did not work. And so he narrowed it down so that he could deal with this one. So he narrowed it down. I keep burping up a lot. So he narrowed it down. So that he could deal with this one family and through that one family reach the entire world and then broaden it back out with Jesus. This is not, and, and the Israelites would have understood that. That's what I'm saying. And when we really read through the Bible in its whole story, we begin to understand this isn't new. God right. wanting to be for everyone isn't new. Joel said it a long time ago. Like, even from them, right. Joel said it a long time ago. Hey, not just your priests, not just your men. Not just Jews, the Spirit's going to pour out over everybody one day. And when it does, you're going to know. Right. And so it did, and everyone knew. Like, everyone knew. And and Peter's sermon is just, he's just making that claim. that, But also I think it's important, I think there is this sense of, like, call to his sermon too. I don't think he's just saying, hey, all of you in this crowd are welcome. I think he's also saying, so when you go home, right? Because we have to consider that majority of the people that were in Jerusalem for this feast did not live in Jerusalem. Right? They lived somewhere else. And at the end of Pentecost, they were going to go back home. And so he's saying, like, when you go home, you got to take this home. It's for everyone far off. I, I think that's what that means. And those that are far off, when it says that in the scripture, he's really pointing out, like, even those back home, take this story back home. And, and carry it with them and, and give it to them. And I, th- I I don't know. I think it's a really, really powerful um, sermon that we're beginning to see the change of the entire world.
1: Sure. I mean, yeah. It's uh, Because for all the Jewish people that would have known this story and known all of this stuff, right? there's also the Gentiles and everyone else who would have been here who would have no recollection of this story. Yeah. Who, who wouldn't know these stories. Right. And so we're finding that for one of the for, for what we see, the law and God and Jesus are being able to bridge between just the story of the Jewish people to the story of all humanity.
0: Yeah, which is incredible. And I think Let's go ahead and jump to the end, jump through, because I think as we continue on this conversation and and where we left off with the first passage, which was there's this sense of cleansing and devotion to prayer and all these things, and then we kind of have this reprieve in Peter's sermon, and then if we move into verse 42, we kind of begin to see what the response to all of this is, and I think that's where
1: we can jump back to that like devotion to prayer. Of but, stuff. I, mean, I think really before we jump there yeah, real quick, I think one of the cool things about this is that Peter makes a very real distinction here in that he says, humans kill Jesus, but God raised Jesus up. Yeah. There's a, there's a sense of there's human work, then there's God work. Right. Oftentimes, human work in its own essence leads to destruction. God's work in its own essence leads to life.
0: Yeah, there's a real theme to Peter's sermon that what you meant for evil, God meant for good. Yes. And, and we will see that throughout yeah. the rest of the New Testament. And, and, and
1: how many of us need that on a day-to-day basis of our yeah. worlds? to where the evil things that transpire around us, with us, in us, through us, oftentimes we look at it and go, I'm trying to make this happen. I'm trying to do this. I'm trying to do this. And it fails. It utterly is destructive. People's communication with us is destructive. Everything we know about it is destructive. And then all of a sudden, when we finally get to the place where we surrender and we go, can't do it, no more, right? And we're done, and it's over. Then all of a sudden, God goes, great, now it's my turn. Yeah. And then yeah. us turning over our inability, God goes, good. Now I can give you life. That's right. That's right. And and I and I think that's it's that's an amazing piece of this. Because what Peter is doing with this entire audience and crowd is going, your world, your methods, your plans, your systems, all lead to you crucifying the Son of Man. Yeah. And that message still applies for today. Yeah. Our world, our political systems, all of our stuff, all of these things that we always try to put all of our time, effort, and energy into that we think is somehow going to bring us happiness, joy, right, life, winds up just leaving us feeling empty, destroyed, incomplete, and going, what? What do we do? And so Peter's message is still the same: repent, repent.
0: Yeah, it's pretty incredible.
1: That's a, that's what we're getting to now. Yeah, what events look like? What are we going to do? Yeah, I mean, that's what these people say. Yeah, we okay. So you've cussed to the core. Like now we know what do we that do? our works are evil. Yeah, we now know that our stuff is bad. So what? So what do we do? What does he say? Do we- so.
0: So verse forty-two, it says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of the bread and the prayers, and all came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people in the Lord, added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Again, a small paragraph with so much happening.
1: I mean, it's incredible because just for anyone listening, Here's what Peter says to do at the end of all the brokenness. Repent and be baptized, every one of you. So before we can get to verse 42, we really lock in on this idea of here's what we do. Repent and be baptized. And those are two very significant statements that happen before they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, before they devote themselves to the breaking of bread, and fellowship, and all of this stuff, that within our lives, we have to get to the point where we go, we got to repent. Yeah. And and repentance is hard. Repentance is this place where you're like, not only am I sorry for this, but I don't want to go back to being this way. This isn't the road I want to be on. Right. And that's what Peter tells this crowd here. He says, brothers, repent and be baptized. But I do think, I I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah. But I think it's important to
0: attach what they actually did in the paragraph to repentance. Because so often today, what we think repentance is, is getting a card to say that I'm a follower of Jesus. And it doesn't actually lead to, repentance is very disembodied a lot of times today, right? It's not something that actually affects your life. It's a mental state. Um, It changes how you feel, but it doesn't change what you do. And what we see here in Acts that they came out of repenting and they begin to devote themselves to the apostles teaching. Well, what's the apostles teachings? It's Jesus's teachings. It's all this stuff. What what was Jesus doing? We see all this time throughout four books of the Bible, right? Through all these pages, Jesus is constantly taking these 12 guys aside saying, come here. Let me explain some things to you. Yeah. Why was he doing that? Because he knew when I'm gone, These guys have got to carry on stuff that the rest of the world isn't ready yet to understand because they don't have the Holy Spirit. Well, now the Holy Spirit's here, so they're ready to understand it. So now all of a sudden the apostles just start regurgitating all this stuff that Jesus taught, which is normal. That's not like a Jesus apostle thing. That's a rabbi apostle
1: thing. Yeah, but but with that, check this out though, because repentance, be baptized. And then there's another statement that Peter makes. Right, And this is the statement that actually leads people to hunger for fellowship. That leads people to hunger for devoting themselves to teaching. That leads people to hunger for all these things. And here's the statement. For the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right. That's, that is the piece that I think oftentimes is missing Whenever you just grab a card and go, okay, yeah, I repented, and I, I went and got baptized. Yeah, that's right. But then all of a sudden, your life doesn't look different. Your world doesn't look different. You've got to really evaluate, were you just communicating something? You have to begin, So, and this is a
0: long conversation, you, you, <laughs> but, but it, all the layers are necessary. Yes. Because with the gift of the Holy Spirit and repentance, you have to understand that your entire existence has now changed. You are a meeting place of God. You're a new life. You are a new life.
1: You have been cleansed.
0: Yeah, you been have born, been purified. And,
1: and you've heard this word in scripture over time. So you have now been born again.
0: Yeah, you're born again. You're something wholly new. And now you've been grafted into this plan by God to show the world who he is through you, right? Which is very specific. Yeah, and so I think it's important that when we're talking about it, because I think you're right. This repentance comes with this gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit changes our urges. It changes our desires. We don't want the same things that we used to want when the Holy Spirit begins to fill up our lives.
1: And so he tells them, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Right. <laughs> How often have we even heard in our culture, in our generation, man, that's just a messed up culture.
0: Right. And and we have, but but again, We've got to make sure because this happens. What does that look like? Yeah. Because right now there's this huge movement of people that think that when you get baptized with the Holy Spirit and you join the church, you don't ever have to go to the temple again. Do we see that here? Nope. In fact, what do they do? And day by day, attending the temple together. They didn't stop their religion. Right? you were you've been a pastor for a long time I've been in church for a long time you know there was a phase about ten years ago maybe a little less than that you know so we're talking six to ten years ago where all the pastors in the world were getting up on stage and saying we're not religious we're spiritual we're not religious you ever hear that because yeah. Yeah, that you- was super popular in the charismatic world we're not religious don't worry we don't have we're not we are not going to put religious systems on you we, we just baptize you in the Holy spirit and you know, whatever comes next is cool. And we're ignoring what happens in scripture. And look, I've been studying acts for preparation for this podcast because I knew I wanted to start in the book of acts and I knew why I wanted to start in the book of acts. It's not what people think it is. Right. Pretty much every chapter is like, and as they were going to the temple, all of these things started to happen. And as they were devoting themselves to prayer, all of these things started to happen. And as they were reading the Bible, all of these things started to happen. And it's pretty much within the realm of those three behaviors that everything in the book of Acts happens.
1: Yeah, well, because they're going to the temple and they were hearing these teachings. And for the first time in their world, it was coming to life how often yeah, yeah. have you ever gone to church and been like I, I don't understand i don't know what i'm doing here i don't know why i'm here
0: yeah both have to happen right both of those things have to take place you have to teach and the teach has to the teaching has to bring life yes and if you have either you try to have life without teaching you're going to fail and if you try to teach without bringing life it's gonna, without it bringing life it's going to fail Th-
1: then it's just empty religion yeah that's, that's right and that's what they had the religion part of it wasn't what they were trying to negate. Right. They didn't swing a pendulum. No. They weren't like, you know what? The law was too strict. Judaism was too much. Let's
0: stop all that and do something new.
1: No, that was not at all what Jesus was doing. Jesus was saying, I am the way. And whenever you begin to go the way of Jesus, the things of the scriptures will come to life.
0: Yeah. We have to realize that the Holy Spirit is part of a triune God. That's what we believe. We believe that Jesus, the Holy Spirit and Yahweh are all equally God. And that's important because the God that started the world is the same God that is the Holy spirit that now dwells in you. And that God looked out at chaos and brought it order. So as you become a Christian, your life shouldn't become more chaotic. That's not the way this looks. It shouldn't become more confusing. And if it is becoming more confusing, you're not doing the three things the apostles kept doing fellowshipping at the temple reading the scriptures, teaching about it, Mm -hmm. and praying. And again, that takes us back to where we were at at the end of that first paragraph, right? Is that the coming of the Holy Spirit is not just this – how do I want to say it? It's not just this disembodied supernatural experience it is also a very physical life changing experience and after the response of repentance should come if you are not a religious person should come a massive change in your life because you should become a religious person You should begin to devote yourself to the apostles' teachings or to Jesus' teachings. You should begin to devote yourself to that. You should begin to devote yourself to the breaking of bread and to the prayers. And it's with those things that awe and signs and wonders came. And the question you were talking about earlier in this conversation was, how many Christians sit down and say, well, none of that stuff's happening for me? Yeah, I've lost my
1: awe of church. Yeah. I've lost my awe of God. And – you you don't want to give a constant. If you do this, this, and this, then this will happen. But <laughs> we've but, got but we kind of lost a words. Two forty two here, <laughs> and I think it's and so this is good for everybody to look at this and go. All right, have you devoted yourself to teaching? Right, and if you haven't, then engage that. Have you devoted yourself? to fellowship, and to do in life with other people. I mean, how often, because we know this in our culture, we're, we're a very, at times, recluse people. Yeah. We, we go to our jobs, we go into our houses, we close the door, we, we do our own thing, we put in our headphones, and and that's it. We're locked away. And what we find out of the life of the Spirit is this, that once you repent, once you believe, once you get baptized, once you are filled with the Spirit, then all of a sudden, this reclusive nature that exists within us to hide, the spirit begins to deal with. Yeah. And it's through that that how, how do we do that? Well, have a meal with somebody. I mean, that that's a big thing and that that's a big thing in some movements right now is just sitting down at your dinner table with other people and sharing a meal. Yeah. And those those are wonderful things, but here and there's the other part of this prayer. Right. Prayer is a critical component of the Christian's life. And not just the rhetorical prayer of Mills. Yeah. But really sitting down with God, pressing your heart in and pressing your soul in to the nature of who God is.
0: Well, yeah, and isn't it fascinating that it says they devoted themselves to the prayers? Like it's – you get a sense – and Jesus obviously taught them how to pray. Yeah. So even praying, again, I I know I sound like I'm beating a dead horse and, and I'm probably making people upset. But I'm just sort of like at this fed up point with this movement that Christianity is hippie religion because it's not. God is a God that looks at broken, chaotic things and puts them back together and brings order to them. And sometimes that looks crazy to us. When you look at a tree and you have no scientific knowledge of how a tree works, it looks pretty strange, right? But with the study of science, we understand that trees grow in a very specific way. My dad is obsessed with bonsai, so I've got all these trees in my backyard right? That he's planted and that he can do. My dad can make a tree grow in a certain direction, grow at a certain rate, bloom leaves at a certain time. Because he understands the science behind trees. Trees do not grow without order. They grow in order. And the entire world is this way. Bodies grow without order. Life grows without order. Life is order. Death is chaos. But for some reason, because order is exclusive, that's the problem. When you start to bring order to things, it's exclusive. And sometimes it's weighty. Like, how, you're, how many times has someone been mad at you when they told you, well, I just don't feel like I'm hearing from God. And you said, well, have you been praying consistently? Have you been reading your Bible? Have you been going to church? And they're like, well, I don't want to do those things.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to. I'm, I'm angry. I don't want to pray. and Or I am praying, but... Because order is weighty. Uh, right, but do we understand that part of prayer is being silent and still and listening? Right. So right. There, there's a lot of elements to, to this order that's really important. Sure. Because without it, then yeah, there is absolute, you don't understand why something's not working out.
0: And that's, that's the point that I was getting to is that prayer, we, we often think to ourselves, what, what is, I, I know for me when I talk to people and they're like, well, I don't know what to pray. Okay, well, then you don't, you're you not having a solid understanding of prayer because you can literally just pray the Psalms, and that is a good prayer. You can literally just pray over yourself the Lord's prayer as Jesus commanded yeah. the apostles to do. It is okay for prayer to be religious and for prayer to be repetitious. It is okay for that to happen. You don't have to muster up your own prayers even. Nothing about this has to be this thing that you create yourself. God has made a way for you to talk to him and for him to hear from you. Right.
1: Like, And, he, and here's what Jesus looks in with that, um, and I think this is important for us. It says, manless in the outward appearance, Godless in the heart. That's right. If you're going to God with an evil heart, angry, upset, just ticked off, and your life's full of sin, but yet you're wanting God to speak to you in a very clean, happy way. Yeah. Don't be surprised when it doesn't happen. Right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's... You, you, but you, that's can't, you can't get around that. You can't hide your sin from God and expect awe and wonder to be revealed in your life. That's so good.
0: And, and I'll, we'll use a personal example to talk about this prayer because th- this is... And maybe it will may give some insight into why I get so worked up about this stuff. I remember I, I, one of the first sermons that I preached, I was like 19... I preached to a group of kids working at a church camp we were we were the workers, and I was preaching to the workers it's about thirty people and uh it was really hard when we went to this church camp because we you go to this youth camp to see teenagers encounter God, and what you end up doing is working from you know seven a m to four a m like nonstop. You're not even in the services because while they're having services, you're having to prepare all the after service activities, clean things up, do all this stuff. So a lot of the times you're not even in the services, you're just working your rear end off. And so there was this common problem in that that where do we find time to pray? And so I preached this sermon that I thought was I look back now and I'm like, "Oh, you were a child." There was so Trinity that was about, well, everything you do to God is prayer. Isn't prayer just conversation? Isn't prayer just talking? It's really simple. So whatever act you do, realize that it's a prayer to God. So when you go to the bathroom and you're just thinking in your head while you're in the bathroom, that's a prayer to God, right? And I made this kind of life shift that I wasn't going to pray over my food. I wasn't going to, pray when I went to the altar. I wasn't going to bow my head. I wasn't going to close my eyes. I wasn't going to do any of these things because we have messed up prayer by putting it in the confines of religion. And prayer was really this free-flowing conversation between man and God that never ended. And so I would constantly say, I never stop praying. I'm always praying. My whole life is this life of prayer. And I was really just a self-righteous douchebag. That's all that I was, who misunderstood the religion of actually taking the time to talk to God in the way that he deserved. I had this irreverent look on prayer. Well, in hindsight, what happened? I was 19, and by the time I was 21, I had basically ruined my entire life. And maybe (laughs) it was because I didn't have the reverence to the holiness and the order that God brought to my life. I thought what God meant for me was that I get to do whatever I wanted whenever I wanted to. I thought repentance meant now I don't have to carry the burdens and the weights of the world and I get to act however I want because God loves me. And that's true. God does love you. And repentance is the freedom and the, of the burden of the weight of this world. But God works in a very specific way. And that specific way brings life. And so if you want life, you've got to participate in that specific way. And I didn't know that, and I didn't understand that. And now throughout my life, I understand, like, there are days where I go multiple days without taking the time to sit down and actually pray. And and some of the theology that I preached is true. What you do is unto God. So if you're doing work and you're not doing it for God, then don't expect God's blessing over it. Like, that's just not the way this works, but you are doing that unto God. I'm just saying that we can't run away. We see it in Acts 42, 42. We can't run away from the order and the religion of the situation. We can't run away from church. We can't just give up on the, the corporate gathering. We can't give up on teaching, and we can't give up on corporate organized prayer. We cannot give that stuff up. And I just feel like in my own personal life that I've seen what it's like when you give that up. And I thought I was really backed up in Scripture, but I hadn't read Acts in my whole well, life. And
1: that's what we, what we find a lot is whenever we begin to take away these spiritual disciplines, right, that we begin to suffer spiritually. That's right. And then we're confused. And we find, and, and we find that all the time. People, we, we will not want to pray and we will come up with a great way to excuse it off. Right. Everything in life is prayer. And on the front end of that, we may feel okay. But coming out on the back end of that, we're always like, that was a tragic mistake that we made. Yeah. And the same thing happens with church. People, they'll go to church and get frustrated. Sure, people can be frustrating. Church yeah. can be frustrating. Religion can be frustrating. But when we give up that spiritual discipline, we begin to suffer. Yeah. And sometimes it's a slow suffer, sometimes it's a rapid suffer but we always realize that we're suffering.
0: Yeah, and I just, I, I, you're right. And I think the, the grace and the devotion that the apostles showed is really admirable and gives me so much encouragement to know that that same, like gives me so much encouragement to know that that empowerment is available to me. Yeah. And what I mean by that is they believed Jesus was God in the fulfillment of all of their prophecies and all of their stuff. And the temple is what killed Jesus. It was going to the temple that led the Pharisees to Jesus. You, you know, like this religion killed their Messiah and they were still called to it. You don't think that was frustrating? <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like, but their devotion to their their heritage their life what Jesus had called them to do it was very it was deeply connected to their Judaism and so as they move on they don't get mad and build their own temples you know what i mean yeah they go to the temples and they start teaching this stuff and i think it's pretty incredible and i think it's really admirable but what i think is so encouraging is when i look at that i go wow that's so admirable i get to step back and go okay but wait that same repentance that they had is called to me and the same Holy Spirit that is birthed in them, that's been in them, that made them new is in me and making me new. And, and when I get frustrated with church, which you know is about daily, um, that's what I fall back on. Is it's like, no, I have a Holy Spirit that can empower me to be devoted to what I believe. And part of what I believe is the corporate gathering. And even if it isn't the way that I want it to be, even if it isn't exactly how I think it should be, I'm not going to give up on it. I'm not going to bail on it. And I think that's just what Acts 42 continues to teach me. It's like, as I see that, I'm like, I can't bail on the church and I can't bail on prayer. When I don't think my prayers are being answered is not an excuse to just stop praying
1: altogether. Absolutely. Whenever you look down in like verses 46 and 47, what you find is that as the, as the apostles do these things, as this culture does these things, that their hearts become glad, Yeah, that there's joy in their culture, that there's joy in their homes. They're sharing uh, all these things in common. And instead of having, even in the midst of Peter saying, this is a crooked generation, they have a happy home and happy hearts. Right. That's right. And I think that's important for Christians in our culture, because how many Christians do we know that are just miserable people?
0: Yeah. Well, let's start to wrap up this conversation because we don't want to get, we could talk about this for hours, obviously. Yeah. And um, there's, uh, we can't jump over like the hardest part of this paragraph, which is they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day they were attending the temple. So, you know, all who would believe together and had all things in common. And we see these scriptures being used a lot of times to condemn the church that we have multiple different churches. You see it being used that uh, we're not constantly selling everything we own. You know, if you, uh, you know, especially as a pastor, lots of times if you buy a new house or a new car or any of these things, people are like, well, hey, look the, you know, what the early church do. The early church gave everything away. So, and obviously by my tone, it's clear that I don't think that's really what's happening here. And we'll see later as we dive more into the other books of act that they didn't – that this is kind of a figure of speech. They didn't really give everything away because they still owned their homes. They still had homes. They made those homes open and available. They still had things. Uh, I think it's important to understand that, you know, as any had need is kind of attached there. What's your thoughts on all that? How how do you approach – these scriptures, because I, I mean, it's pretty convicting stuff.
1: Well, I, when you think about it, I, I think we may edit, we may edit this out um, because I mean, part of this is they were very apocalyptic, right? They didn't think they were going to be around very long. Okay, Jesus had gone up in the air, and they were fully expecting him to come back down. Okay. So,
2: I don't want to edit that out. I want to talk
1: about that. Does that make a little bit of sense, though? No, it makes a lot of sense, but how does that transition to our culture? Right, so what does that mean for us? Here's what it means for us. That as we read scripture, we have to be very careful in how we contextualize it. Okay. Because we can get to this point where we go, okay, everybody go sell everything, everybody go give everything away, and just... Just go for it. Right. But the so the biggest point of contextualization is
0: taking the truth of the scripture that's actually there, not making one up and putting it in there, but taking what's in there and applying it to our culture because we can't understand it. So let's take, let's accept this premise that you're talking about. Because I think this is fascinating. Right? (laughs) I didn't think about it, but I think you're right. So let's accept this premise that they're talking about, which is they were a very apocalyptic. We already saw in Peter's sermon, the last days were starting. We kind of skipped over that because we don't want to talk about eschatology right now. But they believed they were in the last days. That's true. And we see that throughout the whole New Testament. You read through the entire New Testament, they're in the last days. The last days are here. And um, so they were apocalyptic. That's not, you're not making some sort of bold claim. That's true. If you don't know it's true, read the Bible. Like, so obviously, the support. You're basically implying that the apocalyptic nature kind of of instilled in them this fire cell. Like, let's just
1: sell all of our possessions, let's do away with everything, and let's prepare for Jesus. Well, yeah, it it, it excelled the concept that uh, it's not about me. Right. So my treasure somewhere else. Would you say that's the truth in this scripture that
0: we need to contextualize as pastors? And we're sitting here and we're talking to people who aren't pastors, who don't have the education that we have on these scriptures. And we're basically claiming right now that this isn't really saying go sell everything you own. That's not the truth. Right. That's the cultural context of the truth. Yeah. So let's take the truth. What's the truth that we the can apply to com- our yeah. culture?
1: The, the truth coming out of it is this, that they were doing away with loneliness. Okay. That what they were doing was taking care of those that were around them and not being lonely. And so what you find is they were breaking bread together. They're doing life together. Right. They were, they were sharing their possessions as others had needs yeah that they were seeing others greater than themselves and so what they were really looking at in the truth coming out of this is paying attention to those that were around them as opposed to just removing themselves from the culture
0: okay because that could have been a, a real like problem right that hey we're new we're different well, it, let's it, just well, go build a, a village problem, out there because the vi- yeah, well, the the yeah they
1: had if you if you look back at this time there were, very, there were many different segments that were isolating themselves in religious context right. and confines, and they were going, okay, we're just going to go over here and live our life, and we're just going to expect everybody else to do their own thing, and they're all wrong, and they're all lost. It's all over. Whereas Christianity and Jesus brought in this new way of living, of we're not going to isolate. You're going to go out into the world. Right. You are salt of the earth. You're the city on a hill. Supposed to be in the world, but not of the world. But I do
0: think, and maybe I'm wrong. So tell me if I am, because, and this is how we're going to wrap this conversation up. Not with what I'm saying, but this topic. um I do think this is speaking to ownership, because I, I just in a few chapters we're going to see, and I don't want to get into it too much. But you have the story of Ananias and Sapphire's, right? Mm-hmm. And it. Paul, or Peter, one of, anyways, one of the apostles tells Ananias and Sapphira, you don't have to give everything that you have to God. But then Ananias and Sapphira show up and lie to God, and God kills them. And I think that could that's a lesson in this scripture specifically, because I do feel like there is this sense of, as you look at this language, they were all – they had all things in common. They, as any had need, they were distributing things. I do not think this is – now, I want to make that clear. I don't I, – I really am agreeing with a lot of what you're saying that I don't think this is a claim for communism. Correct. Um, I And I think the approach of like what the truth of the scripture really is is about the worldview of acknowledging everyone else instead of yourself. Yes, yes. I I could get behind that, but I also think it is about ownership. But I think for our cultural context, and I think even in their culture, as you really begin to dissect how they lived throughout the scripture, not necessarily what is exactly said, but how they lived, they still owned things. It wasn't just a communal pot of stuff in every church. Like Paul still was a tent maker. Luke was still a doctor. They still made money. They still owned things. They still did things, right? And Paul even says... Later, right, that he goes and makes tents so that he doesn't have to be dependent upon the churches that he's planting. So I don't think this is a contradictory because if you apply the context of the the scriptural story, what we're seeing here is that their ownership was in God.
1: Right. And there's um, one historian – Uh, And he says this out of this whole context. He says, what we do or do not do with our material possessions is an indicator of the Spirit's presence or absence. Right. So, so what he's making the claim as in here is he's going, with the Spirit engaging their world and their life, their material possessions didn't become the priority. It was secondary.
0: Right. And so I think what, as we're summing this up, I think here's what we can conclude. And I'll let you say one final piece on it is that what this scripture is really about. Because we see there's a clear devotion to the religion and to the people and to the fellowship and all these things. And I think that's what the scripture is still about. Is it still about, hey, they were devoted to one another and they weren't devoted to their possessions. They weren't devoted to gaining up their things. And I think that ties into the kind of what you were trying to say about the loneliness, is that their identity became about each other and each other's needs and taking care of each other and not about gathering things up. And I think that's really where we have to take it away from our culture is because we can gather things up. We can do that really bad. But when you go into a good church— throughout America, I actually think we're pretty good at this scripture because I remember when I first went to the Line Church, which I thought was a good church, We, the things that were showered upon us were pretty incredible. I remember I was push, mowing my lawn with a Roto lawnmower, did not have an engine. My lawn is not meant for a Roto lawnmower, but I did not have the money for an actual lawnmower. And as soon as uh, one of our friends at the Line Church heard that, as soon as they heard that, they gave me a lawnmower they had because they had an extra one. And I think that's the truth of this scripture is that you don't just store things up to store them. And when people in your fellowship have need, your identity is more in fellowship than it is in things. And when they have need, if you have what they need, that goes to them because your
1: identi- they're your family. They're, your identity is in them. Sure. Absolutely. And it's... Jesus has a lot of sayings and teachings on this and it's probably fair to say that in this passage in, in Acts 242 that they're not just sharing with just the Christians that they're also taking care of the non-Christian community around them as well. Yeah. Uh that's that's probably a fair statement. Right. Uh we, we can't, I, I can't really give you any backing on that. Yeah. other than if you're going to follow Jesus teaching it says you're going to love your enemy, you're going to love your neighbor. Right. It's you you're going to take care of them as yourself. Right. Well,
0: and there's a lot when we say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, that's obviously a very weighted
1: sentence. Right. So, but watch what happens when you actually do these things. Yeah. The numbers increase daily.
0: Wow. Yeah, we didn't even hit on that.
1: When you actually live out everything we've been talking about. Yeah. The world around you responds differently. To
0: you. Man, that's so good. I think that's where we end Acts chapter 2. Yeah, I like it. So, let's dive into what does this mean for you? Do you want to go first or do you want me to go first?
1: Um, Man, there's so much. Uh I, I don't mind going first because it's, what does this mean for me? I, just looking back through this. I, well, you, mean for the audience. What does yeah, this mean for you, the audience? Right. Like we're talking well, about. Well, it's Here's what I would say this means for you, for the audience. Uh, so here's what I think this all kind of sums up to, to mean. One is this, that a lot of times we don't know the full story. In Acts 2, uh, we, we can look at this from two perspectives, either the Jewish perspective or the Gentile perspective. The Jewish perspective would have known the story and would have known a lot of the significance of what was happening. The Gentile's perspective didn't know the story But they saw the signs and the wonders and were amazed, and it changed their world and life. As you go through your day, as you're paying attention to what's going on around you, realize you may not know the story, but you can see different signs and wonders that are happening around. And spend time paying attention to others. And that's how he ends Acts 2. He says: spend time with people, spend time being around, share, have be compassionate, love people, tell the story. But don't just tell it with your mouth. Let your actions speak with that as well.
0: Man, that's really good. Here's what I would say. uh, My, what does this mean for you is I've talked about in the past couple of episodes that living a gospel-centered life is more than just talking about the gospel all the time. It is about living in a way that your life reflects the story of Jesus to everyone that sees you. And what Acts 2 means for the audience is this. You are now empowered and called to do that. You are the new temple, baptized and filled by God's glory and presence. And the signs and wonders of your life and your story, the, the uh, mile markers inside of your own story are evidence that God has filled you and his glory is in your life and that Jesus loves you. And you have got to tell that story to everyone because you're empowered to do it now. You are in, in, in when I say tell, I mean, live that story for everyone. Take the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to live intentionally so that people may meet God with you because you are God's new meeting place. Your heart, your life is the new tent of the meeting. And that is just incredible to me. And I, I think that's what that means for me. All right. So finally, what we'll sum up is one cool thing. It's just uh, one thing this week that you think is neat. You want to tell people about, you want them to try out or know, or, take away with and and uh, maybe make them laugh or smile or make them think, whatever whatever you want it to be. What's your one cool thing for this week, Mike?
1: I just got new AirPods. AirPods. Mike's I, one cool thing are AirPods. My, <laughs> that may tell you a little bit about me. I just got AirPods, and they're awesome. I, I love them because they're reactive, so you take one AirPod out and it just puts it in the other AirPod, and so – It it knows somehow in some way, right?
0: They also pause when you take it out, right? Yeah, they also pause. Yeah, it's it's incredible.
1: So that's been like my newest thing that I'm just like enamored by lately. Is all right. So
0: AirPods. That's a perfect. That's exactly what one cool thing should be. If you don't have a (laughs) pair of AirPods and you have an Apple device, you should check out AirPods. And we'll put a link in the show's description for those. My one cool thing is called the Read Scripture app. Um, I've been, of course you were going to go spiritual, (laughs) making me look bad now. Hey, uh, two episodes. My one cool thing was a video game on the iPhone. So don't, (laughs) don't feel bad. Uh, no, but the read scripture app, um, uh, I've talked about before on the, the, Podcast Tim Mackey and the Bible Project, and all the things they do, and they they partnered together to build this Read Scripture app. Their videos are built into the reading plan, so inside the app you can read the Bible and watch their videos. And they put their videos in the order of where you should read it according to your scripture. It's really really fantastic. It's completely free. Uh, And I think all of you should check it out. If you are having a hard time reading the Bible, I would argue it's probably because you don't understand the story context of what you're reading. When you're reading Leviticus, Leviticus is hard to read when you don't know what's actually happening in Leviticus. But with some story context, it's not going to become the most riveting young adult novel that you've ever read in your life, but it becomes something that you can read and that you can be moved by. And I think the Read Scripture app does a fantastic job at... um, Making sure, ma- making sure that you understand that context. I just want to remind everyone that the one cool things are not ads. Mike is not being paid by Apple to tell you to download AirPods. And I have not been tasked by the Bible Project to ask you to download the Read Scripture app. These are just things that have impacted our lives that we want to share with you. Okay. That is our episode for this week. And that is the wrap up of our conversation on Acts chapter two. Next week, we will jump into Acts chapter three and kind of continue on this story as we follow the apostles as they take the gospel to the ends of the world. Uh, I hope you guys really enjoyed the episode and you got something out of it. I know personally, the conversation was very challenging for me and it was really exciting to talk about. I was getting really excited in my chair as we were talking about it. And I really loved having Mike in the studio. Uh, There's two things that you can do for me. If you haven't yet signed up for our newsletter, then you can do that at gospelcenteredpodcast.com. The great thing about signing up for our newsletter is that you will get every single episode of the podcast sent directly into your email inbox. You won't miss a single episode. You also won't miss any news that comes out as we create other content that helps you live a gospel-centered life. The second thing is if you are enjoying the show, please go on to wherever you listen, whether it's iTunes or Google Play or Spotify, and give us a review, leave a review. Tell us what you're thinking about the show. Tell iTunes what you're thinking about the show. We are a new show and any review helps us kind of let people know that we are a legitimate show and that this is actually happening. All right. I love you guys. I hope that you're having a fantastic week and until next episode, have a great day.